Um, would you turn with me to, to Judges chapter 6? Um, and we're going to read a scripture there in just a moment. But while you're turning, we're going to pray. Father, I'm standing right here at this place in this point of time. God, and I'm, I trust that I'm echoing what's in the hearts of your people right here. And God, every one of us, some just beginning, some are kind of testing the water, some are, are, are checking you out. God, there's other people that have been walking with you a long time, dear God, and they've developed a level of confidence and a level of strength and stability in you. But God, I'm reminded of an angel that appeared to a young lady one time, and she was given the news that she would be birthing a God-man child whose name would be Jesus. She was going to be giving birth to the Son of God, and she was a virgin. But an angel appeared to her, and in the midst of that, that seemed like too grand, too great a thing for her, her response was, uh, to it was, God, may it be unto me according to your word. And so what she was saying, Lord, I, I want to do whatever you desire to do, Lord, if I'm making myself available to you. So, God, I pray that you would birth that same type of heart and same type of spirit, same type of anointing in our lives. God, the things that we face that seem like they're too big for us, Lord, I, if they are too big for us, dear God, I, I pray that you would teach us to put them in your hands and stop trying to overthink it. Because, God, you design things for us to be involved in that are too big for us and you do it intentionally so that you can be seen as the one who fulfilled it and who accomplished it because it's not about us it's about you so god today as we spend time in your word god i pray that you would encourage and inspire and stir us and god help us to be ready dear lord to follow you into whatever it is that you call us to do and god will give you the praise and glory for it in jesus name amen the last several weeks, you know, I keep talking about these 18 pages of notes that I have on the name of God, and uh, the Lord keeps bringing me back to that in the midst of our, in the midst of our teaching, and today we're going to spend uh, some time looking at Jehovah Shalom, which means God our peace, the Lord our peace, the Lord our peace, and just to, to back it up, Jehovah is the, is the English transliteration in other words it's an english attempt to be able to take a hebrew word and be able to speak it in the english language but it's a transliteration of the hebrew word that can very easily and and maybe even more correctly be pronounced as yahweh yahweh is a name for god the jewish people chose to reverence god's name so much that they would not even pronounce the name of the lord they would just say the name in place of god's name but when you take those, the letters that make up that name, Yahweh or Jehovah, literally you could take the letters that are Y-H-W-H. -H. I don't know why I stumble over that, but Y-H-W-H. -H. And in ancient Hebrew, they didn't even have vowels in it. So just the Y-H-W-H -H without any vowels. If you put vowels in there, because try to pronounce Y-H-W-H -H without putting a vowel in there. We can't do it. We have to have the vowels to be able to make the sound. And so they, they insert vowels to be able to make it pronounceable. And so in English, they used Jehovah. In, in, uh, in, in Hebrew or other languages, they may use Yahweh, but it's really the same name, Yahweh. And to make a distinction, I want to go back and clarify this, that that name Yahweh is very distinct because it is a unique name to God. It's not like where any other nation around the world any other religion of the world would use a generic name for god is there a god he is the god it's not just a generic name for god it's a very specific name for god yahweh is a name that expressed god's desire to be in relationship with his people a desire for him to be a, a covenant making god with his people we wanted to be in relationship so much so and i've shared this with you that when you start with the first chapter, the first verse of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you go through the first several verses, actually into chapter 2, and the only name that's used for God there is the term God that is not 
a relational God. It's just talking to him about being a supreme being, a God out there uh, superior uh, to any other being and that he was the force or the power or the, the personality that was creating all the things around the earth. He was the essence. He was the, um, the originator of creation. He's the source for everything that is. But it's a very generic and, and impersonal name for God. But then you come to a, another section where it seems like it's almost uh, uh, repeating some of the things that were spoken, with, uh, spoken about at first, but it starts using a whole another name. And if you look in the Bible, it will use the word Lord, but every letter is in caps, L-O-R-D, and they're all in caps. It, it looks a little un, un, unusual for the English language, but they were trying to communicate right there by using that type of lettering that it was the name Yahweh that's there, okay? And you find that this God, this Lord who's being spoken about right there, this term Yahweh is somebody that you find that is desiring to be in relationship with God. I mean, being in relationship with man. And the talking about creation and the talking about man being created in his image and all that discussion about that and how the Lord would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, all that discussion is using that covenant name where God's wanting to be in relationship with mankind. And then all of a sudden, there's a break when Eve goes, and she's in the garden, and that tree is there, and she goes to eat of that fruit, and all of a sudden, the serpent speaks and says, did God, the generic impersonal name, that's the, the very next time it's used, the serpent is trying to distance Adam and Eve from the relationship that they were having with God, and just speaks about God in a generic kind of way. So the serpent tried to separate them from their relationship with God. And then a little bit later, it talks about how God comes back down to be with them, but Adam and Eve are hiding because they have sinned, and they are conscious of the fact that they are sinful. And so they're trying to hide from God. When God was wanting to have a relationship with them and with us all along. Amen? What a blessing that we personally, you and I, can have a personal relationship with God. If you met someone, if you signed up on matchmaker.com and you went on a blind date, you know, your first, no, I'm not recommending anything, and I don't know that that's a, but if you went out and had a blind date with someone, those first few moments would be a little awkward. You don't know what to talk about. You're checking them out for the first time, and you, they don't look exactly like the picture they posted online, you know. Yeah, that was their glamour shot or somebody else's glamour shot that they used. Uh, and, but you're sitting at the table with them, and the first few things that you say in conversation, you're kind of testing the water, try, being polite and getting to know, but it's not really intimate. And then after a while, if things are going well, then the conversation kind of loosens up and you get to know each other, becomes more fluid. You find things that you have in common that you can share with and talk about. Look at these two over here, the relationships. Um, <laughs> Um, put them on the spot. But after a while, things progress along, and if things are really working, then your relationship deepens, and it can become a, a great and beautiful thing. Well, folks, when we start out in our relationship with God, it may be the same way. It feels a little strange and unusual to begin with because the door is just opening. I'm going to tell you, God's heart's been open to you for a long time. He may seem diff a little bit it may seem unusual to you to have a conversation with someone like that or to have a conversation with him. But let me just tell you that God wants to walk in relationship with you. It's been his desire all along. And that's why one of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he is with us. Let's go back. This, the Lord is peace, or the Lord our peace, means that covenant relationship God, a part of his covenant relationship with us is that he brings peace. We need to define peace because peace means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. For some people, they think that peace is the cessation or the ending of all conflict and all difficulty, and wouldn't that be grand? I never have to worry about another thing in my life. But peace isn't always that way. Look around the world at all the peace treaties that have been signed. It takes just a little bit of time, and all of a sudden that falls apart. But the reality is this, this name, this, this term shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, 
is a much broader and bigger uh, term, and it literally means wholeness, soundness, well-being, a fullness in the midst of life, that everything is in place the way it should be. Literally, they would say, nothing missing, nothing broken. Nothing missing, nothing broken. When they say shalom to greet you, or when they say shalom to say goodbye to you, they are speaking a blessing over your life that nothing will be missing, that nothing will be broken, that everything will be exactly the way that it's supposed to be. But the challenge is that we think that that means that there is no conflict, when it may mean exactly the opposite. Sometimes it's in the midst of our conflict and in the midst of our challenges that we find that he is Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord, our peace. In the middle of the storm, he's the Lord, our peace. I had Mike specifically to speak about something last week. He got up here and talked about the storm and how sometimes and somebody spoke to him and told him the storm's on the outside, it's not inside of you. We need to make sure that we keep the storm on the outside and don't allow it inside of us. Don't allow whatever the circumstance around us to shake our peace. But in the midst of, our, midst of the storm that we may be going through, that we find a way to have strength and stability and peace, and we find the word of the Lord to help us move past that storm and, and, and move beyond it. Okay, let's go back to, uh, to, to the book of Judges. We're going to chapter 6. The book of Judges, chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 24. We're going to start there. I spoke, I guess over a year ago, some about Gideon in the Bible. And uh, let's read this verse 24. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord. A lot of times an altar to the Lord was a place of remembrance it was like putting up a monument, and they would have a sacrifice to the Lord. But a lot of times when there were significant things that happened for the people of God or in uh, 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 an individual's life, they would build an altar or a monument to the, to the Lord. And he said, and he built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And it says here, the altar remains there in Afra, in the land of of the clan of uh, uh, Ebezer. I don't know why I get up here and I have a hard time with the names. But to this day, that altar is remaining there in that land. So he built an altar to the Lord, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace at that time. But the thing that's very, very interesting about this passage, and let's go back to the beginning of chapter 6, and we're going to look at a few things that are going on. So this is, to, to frame it, if you look at this book, it's in the book of Judges, okay? So the children of Israel, last night at our house, we had little Eliza over there, and we watched the Prince of Egypt, the, the little cartoon about Moses helping to set the people free. She was all excited about that. Um, but we, we watched that video, and, I, and, you know, God rescued and redeemed his people out of Egypt when they had been slavery for over 400 years. He brought them out. He brought them through the Red Sea. He brought them out into the desert, and then they spent 40 years in the desert because they wouldn't believe, even though God had brought them to the border of the promised land, they wouldn't go in and take possession of the land. So God said that that whole generation would have to die out. They would not believe God, so they died out in the desert, and a whole new generation was raised up. But it took 40 years that they wandered around in the desert, and finally they came in and took possession of the land. While after that, and, and some of you may be, this may be news to you, but they didn't have a king. They didn't have a king. They served God. They just, they pursued God. But occasionally... And, and it's sad to see, but if you go back to the, the book of Judges, you'll find that what would happen was that they would do just fine for a period of time, and then all of a sudden, they'd get real slack with regards to their relationship with the Lord, and they'd start worshiping other idols and getting involved in other kind of practices. And then you've got this up and down cycle where they would be walking with the Lord and doing good with the Lord, and then they would fall off the cliff, and all of a sudden, they were embracing all kinds of other things out there. And, and, and they would uh, have nations come against them and war against them and, and do battle against them and destruction would come to them because they were in sin. And then they would cry out to the Lord and the Lord would deliver them again. God would, this is the book of Judges. God would raise up a judge 
that it would help judge those other nations and get the nation back on the right track and they'd get things back together and they'd begin serving the Lord and God would deliver them and then they'd fall off the cliff again and they went through this cycle and we're talking about year after year after year that, that this was going on and God would raise up new judges and then after that judge died then the, the people would fall back off the cliff again and it's really a sad cycle when you think about it and when you go through the Old Testament, you see over and over again that this type of thing went on with Israel, even when they came to the point where they actually did have kings. Some kings would serve the Lord, and some would do bad. And, you know, they'd go back and forward. And we won't take time to go through all that, although I guess I just did. But the Israelites had come at this point, chapter 6, to a, a, a desperate place. Um, I'm very familiar with chapter 6 because when I went to graduate school, I had to take a Bible knowledge exam to see if I could be exempt for one class and uh, I took this test not knowing I was going to have to take it and I went in there and I turned in my paper and this the secretary graded it and she said I need to ask you one thing she said did the story of Gideon happen in Judges chapter 6 or in chapter 16 and I'm like now which chapter was that you know it was all kind of ringing the same and my head was kind of fried anyhow after the test I said chapter six she said okay you passed and uh, so <laughs> this chapter made the difference <laughs> and whatnot I passed that class or had to take that class again in in graduate school that was like my entry level entry level thing see if I could clip out of a class so anyhow here it says look at this it starts out in verse one it said Israelite did evil in the sight of the Lord so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years Folks, for seven years, God allowed the enemies to be able to run rampant through their land. Why? Because they'd done evil in God's sight. God had to withdraw himself from them and allowed destruction to come upon them. But it talks about how cruel they were and how the children of God ended up fleeing up in the mountains and into the caves and they hid themselves. What was going on was these Midianites and and the uh, Amalek, the Amalekites, and people like that, they would come in there and raid them. They would go, the Israelites would go out and plant crops. And before they could harvest the crops, either the Midianites would come in and steal what had been, uh, what had been uh, harvested, or they would burn the fields. I mean, think about farmers planting their fields out here. And then right when it comes time for harvest, for somebody to come along and light fire to the field. I mean, all that work, all that labor, all that anticipation, and when you're hungry and starving, and then to see all your, all your food go away. So the Israelites literally had fled to the mountains and were hiding in caves and strongholds. And uh, while they're going through this, it, said, it says in uh, verse, verse 4, it said, they, were left, they left the Israelites with nothing to eat. They even took the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the donkeys. And so they were just vulnerable to all these attackers that were coming against them. There was no hope for them. Can you imagine the frustration after seven years of this? Just, I mean, right down on the coast, we got people that are struggling for food. And you know what? We look at nations across the ocean and we see people struggling and it seems like a reality over there. But this is something that's going on in our backyard. It's right here. It's real. The land had been stripped bare by these, these oppressors. It says at the end of verse 6, Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. I'm sitting there reading that passage, and I, I thought, I, I just want to, to put this out to you. Have you ever come to a point in your life where you just came to a point of desperation? God, I can't deal with this anymore. I don't know how to move forward. I'm struggling, Lord. You know, I just want to tell you, sometimes people accept life's difficulties or life's situations. That is their lot, and there's nothing else for them. Why? There's no hope. We, we talked about in, in uh, Romans uh, this last week from chapter 15 how God is our hope. You know, and we, we've got light at the end of our tunnel well, we've got God who steps into our life and we've been struggling with the desperation and the pain and the difficulty of life and we don't see a better tomorrow. We don't have hope for anything different than this. It just brings despair and difficulty. It makes you struggle. But when you know that there's hope that something could change, all of a sudden it brightens your day. It gives you uh, encouragement. 
Mark was talking about that the other night, how encouragement comes, but along with encouragement and hope, it also activates something on the inside. It activates faith inside of us that we begin to act towards what it is that God's given us as a promise, right? We start walking towards it. We start talking about it. We start reading about it. We start pursuing something because we know that there's a better day, that there's something more that God's promised us. So God, who is our hope, speaks into our lives and, and lets us know that there's something more. Here the children of God remember the Lord who delivered them from, Israel, uh, from, from Egypt. They remember the Lord that brought them out of bondage, and they start crying out to the Lord for help. And it says, and this is interesting, verse 8, it says, The Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. What was his name? How many of you remember what his name was? You know, it doesn't give a name for this prophet. There's no name. I don't know why God didn't put his name there. Maybe that's a good word for all of us. That when we are speaking for God, it's more important that we remember His name than it is our name. And the prophet said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, I'm in verse 8, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of the slavery of Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship other gods of the not worship the gods of the Amorites and, uh, in whose land you now live, but you've not listened to me. So the prophet brought a very specific word and let them know, look, you failed on your side of the deal. And let them know where they had fallen down. But thank the Lord the Israelites were calling out to God for help. You know, don't we do that sometimes? God gives us direction or God gives us things he wants to do. And sometimes we don't really call out to God until we get ourselves in a desperate situation. We just kind of want to go around and do our own thing. All of a sudden, consequences of lifestyle or consequences of ignoring God or consequences of going ahead and doing things we know we're not supposed to do. Those consequences start piling up. And before long, we're like, oh, my goodness, I need help. And God's like, yeah, but I gave you direction. The good thing about that is, and what's amazing is, just the fact, the fact that God allows us to see the areas where we have fallen down does not in any way mean that he is not willing to remedy the situation but what he's looking for is a change of heart will you come back to me scripture says return to me come come back to me let's fellowship together let's be back in relationship together and god will do things on on your behalf open the door let me tell you folks and, and, and I'm not going to take time to go all, all the way through it, but God gave me a revelation about jurisdiction in life. God gave you the ability to make determinations about thir certain things in your life that you can open the door for God or you can shut the door for God. Your comments, your attitudes, uh, the things that you, uh, where you ignore God, sometimes you, you can open the door for a consequence to come into your life. You can just as easily open the door for a blessing to come in your life. So, you know, we have the right to decide how certain things will happen in our life. And if God's given us an opportunity to be blessed, why not open the, Lord, the, the door for that opportunity? Communities do the same thing. Leaders that have jurisdiction over a city can get up there and say, look, we are now going to tolerate this type of thing. We're going to allow this in our community. And it can open the door for a blessing or a curse to come over a community, over a nation over schools shut God out and then all of a sudden there's consequences that come and then we like well what happened what's going on with our schools well we told God he's not welcome you know anyhow in the midst of all this thing the people of God are calling out the children of Israel are calling out to God for God to help them and it says in verse 11 an angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at, at Afra that belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebezer. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So here's an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord. 
And we'll find that there's an identity here that we see a little bit more of a little bit later on. But it speaks of an angel of the Lord or a messenger of the Lord came. And there's this man Gideon who has been able to gather some grain, but he's afraid that the Midianites are going to find him. So he goes down into a wine press and he's down inside the wine press hiding behind the walls so that he can, so that he can crush that grain and so he can make some flour out of it. And, uh, and while he's there, this angel appears to him. And the angel says to him at the end, he said, uh, in, in one translation may say, Hail, mighty man of God. But here in this translation it says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Mighty hero. And here he is, the guy hiding behind the wall. What has he accomplished yet? Nothing really, nothing on that, nothing on that kind of scale. I'm glad that he was at least out doing something about grain but we don't know anything about him that makes him a hero sir Gideon replied is the Lord with us why has all this happened to us and where are all the miracles that our ancestors have told us about you know I read that passage I thought haven't we heard that before we getting to get things are going tough in our life the question where is God we go and have a difficult day, something happens, or we get in a desperate place. Where are the miracles? Where are the miracles? Come on, folks. You know those questions arise in people's hearts. Where, where are you, God? How can a loving God allow this to happen? Where is he? How can he do this? Yet a lot of times we've shut God out. And all of a sudden, we get in a tough situation. We're like, where are you? Well, I'm right where you put me. You know, you shut me out. You wanted to do everything your way. And when things start, you start reaping the fruit of that. Then all of a sudden, why aren't you doing all these things? But beyond that, folks, I'm just going to say this. Look, sometimes very hard and difficult things happen to even very good people. Not everybody that got flooded out in this storm got flooded out because they were a bad, bad person. And I don't, I, I'm not even going to put that on anyone. Nobody, they don't, we're not going to say this storm was there because it was deserved. Sometimes there's things that happen that are just a circumstance of life. There are just hard things that happen. You know, to try to, 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 to put all that as though somehow it's a, God made that happen, I don't believe that. But I know that in the midst of that situation, God can go to work. God can intervene in people's lives in the middle of the storm. In the, whether your storm is the physical winds or what happens after the fact, God can be there and be a comfort. I want to just, I want to just, I, I, I want to move over to, to we're not going to read there. But there's that story over in Mark chapter 4. And it's spoken of in two other of the gospel books too. But in Mark chapter 4, there's a passage there that speaks about Jesus and his disciples being out on the boat. We're familiar with the passage, but they're out on the boat going across the water. Jesus gets up in the boat and, and, and goes up to the front of the boat and he goes to sleep. He's just out there in the middle of the, middle of the lake. They're going across and all of a sudden the storm comes up. And the boat's filling up, and the disciples are all nervous and worried about it. They're sloshing water up out of the side, trying to keep the boat from filling up. And, you know, there's Jesus right in the middle of the storm. And sometimes we go through things, and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And we're like, God, are you there? Are you there? God's not worried about the storm. We sure are. You know, we don't understand. He can already see the future. He knows what's ahead. He knows what he can do. He's not concerned about whether or not he's powerful enough to handle our situation. And sometimes we get our eyes on the storm instead of getting our eyes on the answer that he's given us. And Jesus is in the boat. And, and um, I wanted to bring this up because my whole life, when I've read this passage, what I've read is where Jesus stands up in the middle of the storm and he says, looks to the disciples because they call out, God, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? We're sinking. We're dying. We're going to die out here in the middle of the lake. And... Um, and uh, Jesus stands up and said, oh, you have little faith. Oh, you have little faith. I mean, they're in a boat sinking out on a lake. Anybody been in a sinking boat before? How many? Come on. Anybody been in a sinking boat? 
a few people here. I've been in a sinking boat. Christopher, you and I were in a sinking boat out there in the sound when you were young. And uh, I mean, your nerves get stirred up in that situation. You probably had your own kind of boat situation that may not have been a boat, but some kind of situation where it seemed like everything was falling apart and it was real easy to get real desperate and real nervous and real anxious in that time. But if you've made a relationship with God, God's with you in the middle of your circumstances. You need to look to your source and not look to the destruction that seems imminent. Look to your source. So Jesus stands up and said, Oh, ye of little faith. And then he turns, and in the translations we're used to, it says, Peace be still. Peace be still. And all of a sudden, the storm just calms right down. I was interested in reading the New Living Translation that it doesn't say peace there. It says, hush. But he's not talking to the disciples, though they probably needed it. He probably thought about it. He's actually speaking to the storm, and he commands the storm to be silenced. I love that. Matter of fact, I got goosebumps just talking about it. Goosebumps. Goosebumps? Yes. Hush. Be silent. That turbulent voice on the inside that tells you that you're going down, that the health crisis is going to get you, that this financial crisis cannot be overcome. Hush. Be silent. It really, for, for us, it means that we need to learn to depend on the presence and the power of God to still ourselves on the inside so that we can hear from God, so that the voice of the storm that we're dealing with with does not come become greater than the voice of god speaking into our life that we allow there to become a hush and jesus didn't just ask he commanded it and the storm had to respond that ocean had to calm and all of a sudden the disciples are saying what manner of man is this what kind of man is this that's in the boat with us i mean they'd seen him do some things and it was awesome and great, but all of a sudden, the wind and the waves obey him? When we are, are facing a storm, we need to make sure that we come to a hush on the inside. Don't allow the anxiety. Don't allow the stress. Don't allow the circumstances to cloud out the Spirit of God and what God's trying to, to say to us. It takes personal discipline. It takes getting control of yourself. It takes focusing on the Spirit of God instead of focusing on all the, the what-ifs and the, the what-am-I-going-to-do's and all of that thing to come to a place of peace where we can say, be still, hush, and learn to rest in the Lord and let God speak into our lives and show us what he can do and what he desires to do and what he wants to do through us amen isaiah tells us that jesus is the prince of peace and i, I just want to speak something to you folks i uh the angel of the lord speaks to gideon in the circumstance when he calls out and he says but you know he, he, he responded there in verse 13. Um, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? And then he talks about how they had told him about him being brought up out of Egypt. But now the Lord's abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And then instead of it talking about the angel of the Lord speaking to him, what does it say? What's the next line there? It says, then the Lord, and what, 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 uh, look at that word Lord. How is it typed out? All caps. The covenant, the relational God speaks and said, Go in the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to that guy cowering behind the wall. He's not speaking to some guy in mighty armor. He's not speaking of somebody who, you know, is 
Corey's pretty tall, a lot taller than me. He's not speaking of some giant arrayed in might and power who's got this huge repertoire of things that he's accomplished in his life. He's speaking to the guy hiding behind the wall trying to crush just a little bit of grain because he's afraid that the Midianites are going to see him. But yet he says, go in the strength that you have and deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. What does the next thing say? I'm sending you. And it goes down just a little bit further. Gideon responds, okay, probably the way that most of us would respond. But, but God, but God, he says, how can I rescue Israel? Folks, think about our society. Think about your family. Think about your circumstances that you may be struggling with in life right now. Think about our nation. Or think about what's going on in this world and how the light of God needs to be seen in the world. God needs a representation out there. He needs someone who's willing to go. He needs someone who's willing to do something about what's going, out, going on out there. Who is going to stand up? Who is going to stand up? Are all of us responding the way that Gideon would respond? Gideon responded and said, but how, how can I do it? He said, my clan, I just come from an insignificant people. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I'm just, we're just small, we're just insignificant people. I'm the least in my entire family. I'm the least, God. How am I supposed to do something? And God's just commissioned him to go and deliver Israel from this powerful enemy that's been coming against them and oppressing them. 16, go ahead. Kellyanne's going to preach. The Lord said to him, here's the key. I will be with you. See, we get so f focused on the I'm insignificant and forget to focus on the how great our God is. We get to looking at my failures that I, that I did in the past instead of looking at the fact that he has called us. I am sending you. I will be with you. The more than enough is here. Y'all, I've just really been enjoying this study about the names of God and what they all mean. and uh, uh, We're looking at the Lord, the Lord, our peace today. But when you talk about the scriptures of God and how he portrays himself as the valiant one, this mighty God who's there on our behalf, I mean, if we really, if we really dug in and studied the names of the Lord and found out exactly who he's revealed himself to be for us, and how he says that I am the I am, I will be all you ever need. I am the all-sufficient one. <laughs> All the things that God has provided to us in understanding how he has revealed himself as to who he was. We can take strength and comfort in that. Comfort in that. We, we just need to take the time to learn who our God is. When you are dating and wanting to marry someone, and then after you marry them and you go from apartment, I mean from cloud nine to apartment nine, nine and you start really learning about that person and, and and life, you know, start settling into life. You know, there's some challenges there, but there are some, there are blessings in getting to know that. You become more intimately involved with that. You know what makes them tick. You know how to, how to punch their buttons and get a response. Hey, Cecile. Um, I just love to do that. Um, but you also know what their joys are, what brings pleasure to them, and you want to do those things. I remember being here, Miss Louise, you may remember, Cecile loves music, and I remember one time praying and saying, God, would you help me be able to get Cecile a piano? And within a week, Miss Ethel got a phone call out here. Somebody called and said, do you know anyone in the church that might be interested in a piano? We're moving, and there's a, a piano we just like to give. And, and Miss Ethel turned to me and said, David, you know anyone who wants a piano? I said, yes, yes, I want a piano. And so I, I think it took about five men to be able to move that thing, a heavy, heavy piano. But we got it in the little house down here on College Circle, and we had a piano that Cecile could play. And, but God cared enough to be involved in that. He, he worked it out for us. And uh, we ended up moving that out at some point. It was still just as heavy. But God, God cared about it. God cared because he's a relational God. He knows what touches us. He knows what moves us. He knows what brings joy to us, and he knows what hurts us. 
What he wants us to do is open the door for the relationship. Don't shut him out. Don't shut him out. Say, yes, Lord, I, I, I don't know everything about you, and there's a lot of things that I may be a little bit nervous about getting to know you, but, Lord, I'm opening the door for this relationship. Would you teach me about yourself? Will you walk with me as I walk this life? Would you help me grow in this relationship with you? Folks, you know, I was sitting there thinking about Midian and how the, the children of Israel needed to be delivered. In our world around us, there's so many people that are living in bondage and are struggling with life and with depression and anxiety and, and sickness and, and loss and, and pain from the past. God needs a champion. God needs someone who's willing to stand up. And every one of us can look at ourselves in some kind of way and say, I, I, I can't be that person, and I want to look for someone else who's better qualified. But I want to tell you, if you're a child of God, the Spirit of the Lord is looking at you right now and saying, I'm sending you. You're, you're the one I'm choosing. And we can look at ourselves and say, but, but I, I can't do it, Lord. I, I'm, I'm the weakest. I'm the frailest. God, you don't, you don't know. You. And, he, and he's saying, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And some of that frailty and some of that brokenness and some of that hardship that you've endured and grown through, maybe some of the reasons why he's looking at you and saying, I'm choosing you. He's not looking at your insufficiency. He's not looking at brokenness. He's looking at what he can accomplish through you. Because, folks, the fact that you've been through pain and been through hardship and you've had to endure some of those things, some people stand up in full confidence because of personality and gifting and everything like that. And with bravado, they'll get out and speak to people, and all the attention comes right here. I don't really want to be pointing at myself. No, I'm not going to pick on anybody else. <laughs> in other words, they draw all the attention to themselves. And, and whose name do they remember? But like that prophet that came and spoke and you don't even know his name, the message stood out. The important thing is that he says, I will be with you. If the Lord is with us, then the sky's the limit on what he can accomplish. The interesting thing about this passage and how it goes along is you find that, that Gideon ends up finding the strength after this encounter with the Lord, encounters that transform lives, this encounter with the Lord, God appeared to him. Even, even with God appearing to him, remember, he was still doubting himself. Folks, you have to be willing to come into agreement with what God speaks over you and to do what God calls you to do. I, I need to ask this question because it's come to my mind several times and it was on my mind yesterday. But what is it that hinders you the most from moving forward in a relationship with God or from doing the things that God is calling you to do? Is it your past and where you came from? This, 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 I, I'm not trying to, to I, I, I'm not pigeonholing anybody here because it may be different for different people. Is it your past and where you came from that somehow you're disqualifying yourself or saying you're not worthy or saying that I failed in the past, I can't do it? Or perhaps uh, the environment that you grew up in, you feel like that would disqualify you. Is it the past that's making you feel inadequate? Is it your present, your circumstances are too weighty, too heavy, too difficult? They're too overwhelming, you're too busy? Uh, I don't even know how to interpret that for you. But is there something about your present that's keeping you from being able to move on and do the things that God's calling you to do? Or is it the future? Is it hard to look into the future and see that you can actually walk out these things that maybe God's presenting to your heart and you want, it's, it's, it's more comfortable for you to shut it down and to ignore it than to really step out in faith and be able to walk into the things that God's called you to do. What is it? What, what stops you from being the fullness of the person that God's called you to be. It doesn't matter which one of those areas or whatever area does present itself to you. If God's called you, you have the assurance that He'll be with you. If you'll just be willing to agree with Him, 
and step out in faith and walk into what he's called you to do. So Gideon, with a natural response, we've got this huge enemy that's out there. What are we going to do? Let's, let's call our friends that will come and rally alongside us and help us to be able to overwhelm this, this, this army. So they put out the cry to some of the tribes around them and said, y'all come and help us. And this army of 32,000 people come to go to war against the Midianites. Praise God. We got, look at all these people that are excited about what, they're, about what we're getting ready to do. And we've got to go rout those people. And God responds and said, that's too many. You know, excuse me? That's too many people. It's too many people. You need to get a hold of this. God says, look, you need to tell those people that are afraid to go home. We are not immune in our family here to things that are going on out there that, are, that are, have, are, are common in the world, okay? We're not immune here. I know that a lot of folks struggle with their own personal insecurity, struggle with anxiety, struggle with depression, struggle with things like that. Folks, but there are things that are designed by the enemy to keep a lid on what God can accomplish. The scripture says, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. God's intention for us is for us to be able to walk in freedom. So don't, you know, I'm not making light on this, okay? Believe me, I'm taking it very seriously. I am not, just because my struggles are different to your struggles don't mean that when you look at my struggles, somehow my struggles mean light. And just because I may not deal with some of the very things that you deal with doesn't mean that I am looking at your struggles and somehow in, in diminishing the difficulty of that. But what I'm saying for both to you and to myself is that God came to set us free. When he gave us life and when he renewed our life and brought us into relationship with him, his intention is for us to walk in the fullness of what he's provided for us. His promise is to be fulfilled. So let's put a demand on the anointing and pray for God to help us to walk in freedom of it. But God did not put any barrier in front of us that would keep us from being able to do the things that he's called us to do. God's intention for us to walk in the fullness so that we can accomplish it all. Anyhow, going back to the story, there were 32,000. God said, send those who are in fear home. And it ended up that there were 10,000 left. Well, 10,000 is a significant amount of people. If we got 10,000 folks out here in the field, it seems like a, a pretty mighty army. And God says, nope, we, we can't do that. You, the people will take the glory for the battle. He said, so I want you to go down to the river and get them to drink. And when they went to the river to go get some, some, something to drink out of the river, there were some people who, who knelt down and they, took, they cupped water in hands and they, they lapped it like a dog out of their hands like this. And some people just fell on their face in the river. I guess that they were tired and hot. They got down to the river to drink. And God said, I want you to send all of them home that, that do that way. If they don't lap it like a dog out of their hand, then, then send them home. And Gideon's left with 300, 300 people to go up against the mighty Midianite army. But I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And uh, story goes on, and we don't have time. You can go back and read it. Go Just read Judges chapter 6 through 8. I don't want to take time to go through all of it. But you end up seeing that God miraculously, in the middle of the night with the... the trumpet being blown I'm, there's a prophetic word in that with the trumpet being bl blown the, the the declaration of the word of the lord being blown and with them shattering the pitchers breaking free so that the light can come out of the pitcher there's something in that heidi we got to let our light shines and get our our testimony out of the box The enemy turned on themselves. They woke up in the middle of the night hearing the clamor of all this going on around there. The, 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 
Gideon's army was around the hillside and they are breaking the pitchers and blowing the horn and letting their light shine. The people look up on the mountainside. They see these lights and they see this, all this noise and they say that they're, they're coming after us. They're, they're upon us. And so they start fighting, but they're fighting themselves and the army basically wipes themselves out and then Gideon's folks pursue them and chase them from the land. But the enemy of God fought against themselves and destroyed their whole army. And the Lord had the victory that day. We've got to get our testimony out of the box. God's done some powerful things in our lives. We've got to get our testimony out of the box. Let your light shine. We're getting ready to have this conference this week, folks. And I am looking forward to hearing the word of the Lord. I'm looking forward to getting encouraged and stirred up on the inside. But folks, every one of you that's been walking with the Lord has an anointing on your life. And I, I, my, trust, my trust and my prayer is that as we approach this conference, you're not just looking to hear another sermon. You're not just looking to gain a little bit more knowledge, but that you'll be looking for opportunities to be able to minister and let God work through you. God needs people in the earth that he can accomplish his purposes through. I am pregnant with an expectation of what God can accomplish through us. Numbers don't count. But who's on our side does. I don't want this church to pattern itself after some other church. I don't want us to be in competition with another church. I want us to ignite other churches. I want us to them to get excited because they hear what's going on. I've, I've been around a while, not as, not as long as some of you, but, but I was thinking this morning, uh, I mean, I can remember when the question was, is it all right to clap your hands in church or not? You know, is it hymns or scripture choruses? I mean, they were choruses, Pastor Eric, but people were skeptical even though they were about scripture because it wasn't a hymn. You know, people were like, I don't know about these choruses. And you're sitting there singing the scripture, you know, but they didn't know if that was right or not. And, and Kellyanne, <laughs> I'm glad you're free of some of those things. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Lord, our peace. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Let's make ourselves available to the Lord. He is here for us. He's here for us. I'm just kind of getting still here because there was something I was wanting to say. No, 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 you're good. But it, I've, it, it, is, I, I, uh, it won't come back, so I've been asking the Lord, Lord, do I need to share that or not? And if so, then bring it back to me. I know I was talking to Cecile, and I asked her a question, and I can't remember what the question is now. Lord will bring it if I need to. Cecile, do you remember? Okay. If the Lord doesn't bring it back, it's not for now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Just stay right where you are. Be still before the Lord. Folks, make yourselves available to people. If there's people that you're in contact with that need Jesus, please let your light shine. Let, let God be seen through you. Make yourselves available to answer questions. Just share life with people. The greatest, I, I, the question is back now. And the question is this. How would you convince someone that God is alive? How could you, would you convince someone that God exists? 
If you had to have a little conversation with someone and convince them that God exists. You know, for some people, our first response would be to take out the Bible and start reading the Bible. Well, some people may not accept the authority of the Bible. I mean, it's still good to give them Scripture because there's power in, in the Word. But a lot of times we use so much uh, church talk that people don't understand the language that we're speaking. And so we need to understand how to deal with people. You're going to deal with people that are just completely ignorant and just, and I don't mean that in a, hard, in, a, in, a, in a bad way, but they just don't know if there's a God or not. And they're, they're com earnestly seeking. And there's also people we're going to come in contact with that completely reject the fact that God is alive. How do we answer those people? You know, we need to prepare ourselves for that. Do you, what can we look at out there that will help stir somebody's mind to consider the fact that there is a God of creation, a God that set things in motion? There's all kinds of things that go up in, in my mind. I'm thinking if you could take this avenue or that avenue. Some of the greatest tools that you can use to be able to convince somebody about the reality of God is the things that you've already had at hand. In that, you've got a testimony about what God's done in your life. Or I know, you know, uh, Chris is an electrician. He's got an elect, uh, uh, electrician company. That, why does that sound? An electrical company. There we go. But I talked about a guy who said, you know, it's one thing to have power, but unless you're connected to the power, it doesn't really become relevant to that equipment. We've got to have our life connected to the source in order for it to be active and alive inside of us. You know, there's different type of things that as you're walking through life and experience the things that pertain to your life, the Holy Spirit will use those examples to become a living um, illustration that you can turn around and share with somebody else. Now, I know some of us are very familiar with, with sharing our faith, but we have to find ways to be able to talk about our personal experience because people can't argue with your personal experience. We've been talking for a long time about sharing your story. If I were to, we still have talked about this, about just like asking people to come share their story. Just come up and share your story. If, if you had two minutes to share or 30 seconds to share with somebody, do you have something that you could say that would tell them that God's real? Something about your experience that you could go to to be able to experience. And the Holy Spirit can give you a specific application for a specific time. But don't draw back from that opportunity saying, God, I'm too weak, I'm the, the least of my family, and my tribe is the least of, you know, don't draw back because it's not about you, it's about him, and he is more than enough in you. Just be the mouthpiece. How, here's the question for the day, how, or what would you say to someone to help convince them that there is a God? that he exists I'm gonna to have to be quiet or I'm gonna keep going so I'm gonna pray father it is overwhelming it just it it undoes me to think that you are such a great God the immensity of this universe and the complexity even down to the smallest little detail but that you would turn around and love me and God, that you would chase me when I, as somebody that grew up in your house, dear God, that I failed, that I messed up at times, dear God, or I, I took lightly the blessings that I'd been blessed with. And yet you continued to pursue me and to love me when I knew better. Dear God, there's people here that didn't grow up in your house, dear Lord, but you're pursuing them right now. God, and you pursued them into a relationship with you and you considered it, continue to draw us deeper into you. God, help us to respond to you and say, Lord, here I am, use me, Lord. Find, find a place where I can do something on your behalf, where I can be a, a, a messenger to somebody else, where I can be an encouragement to somebody. But God, put your anointing behind that, your God, so it supersedes the natural ability of your God, and it speaks supernaturally and powerfully into the hearts and the lives that we've come in contact with. Thy kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Rule and reign in the hearts and lives of people, Lord. Set things in order that are out of order. Make sense out of the chaos. Holy Spirit, brood again 
hover again over the chaos of humanity and God bring order and establish your kingdom in our hearts we pray God bless and encourage all those who suffered loss through this storm dear God help them have confidence and hope for the future as you put the pieces of their lives back together God go with us and guide us this week Lord and make us effective in your vineyard dear God that we would bring fruit for your kingdom. And God, we'll give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is the Lord, our peace. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. We'll see you Friday night. Amen. Amen.